Well, good morning, saints. As uh, the kids are filing out, I invite you uh, to turn or scroll to Matthew chapter 7. So I want to begin this morning by posing two questions for our consideration this morning. The first one is this, truth. Is truth absolute? Is truth relevant? Should it be a part of the discussion on weighty matters? Do you make up your own truth? Do I make up my own truth? Is what is true for me my truth? Or is there truth? It's question number one. Question number two. Does faith impact your life? One who names the name of Christ. Would we, should we, could we expect for that to be evident in one's life? Or is it simply divorced? You name Christ and how you live is a different story. Those are two tremendously important questions, and both of them are answered by our Lord Jesus. In the passage we'll be looking at today, so just by way of quick review, Matthew chapter 7, it really the, the theme of the entire chapter is judgment. It's a very unpopular theme today. But it's really how Jesus closes out this first public teaching of his. And he does so with some very pointed warnings. That is, these are things or these are aspects, these are realities that might cause you to miss the truth. We saw last week, Jesus said something that is entirely countercultural today. He said, the gate is narrow that leads to life. And the way is broad that leads to destruction. Few are those who find the gate of truth. If I could find one concept that exactly runs straight forward into modern contemporary thinking, that would be it. We must take all of what Jesus taught, not just the parts that we like. So Jesus, last week as we looked, there's a, an impediment, if you will, for entering the kingdom, and that is to not realize that it's not all about you and your truth and your reality, what feels good to you. It's a narrow gate. It's very precise. So this morning, we're going to look at another impediment, if you will, another cause for concern when it comes to the kingdom of Christ. So our text begins this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And as I said last week, I would say uh, this morning and also next week, there'll be a sober aspect to what I'm preaching. So if I don't seem happy clappy, it's because we're dealing with very sacred 
truths that have profound implications and that form the totality of what Jesus taught. Beginning in verse 15, we read this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them, second time he says this, by their fruits. Saying such an impactful passage before us this morning. Truth does indeed matter. Jesus said, many will come and present a distorted Christ, a distorted gospel, a distorted message. And we will know them by their fruit. Does this not show us that the that genuine Christian faith will be discernible in one's life? So to understand the concept of false prophets, I take you back to a central concept that Jesus hammered in the Sermon on the Mount. You've noticed I've returned to it Often, because really it is a central truth in what Jesus taught. It's in regards to this concept of the law and the prophets. Here's what he said. Do not think, verse 17, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. As we've said many times, the Pharisees liked the first part of that answer. Because they wanted to know, what was Jesus, this rabbi who never went to seminary, who, what's his straight edge going to be? Is he going to uphold our traditions? Is he going to speak the truth? Jesus affirmed that because that was God's truth. But he said, fellas, that's not the end of it. That's not the totality of it. I will not only teach and uphold the truth of God, I will fulfill it. I am the one who will make sense of everything that you know in your Hebrew scriptures. Moses and the prophets indeed were the straight edge. They were God's truth. And Jesus would not only teach the truth, but remember what he would say, I am the way the truth, and the life. There's no way Moses or David or Ezekiel would ever stand up and say that they'd be stoned on the spot. But Jesus, 
not only taught the truth, but he is the truth with a capital T. And he would also fulfill all that was written in the Old Testament. So a key concept that emerges out of this fertile ground is that Jesus is the way. Again, I quote Jesus. I am the way. I'm not a way. I'm not, well, if it works for you, I can be your way, but test me against other people. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It corresponds precisely what Jesus said elsewhere, John chapter 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now remember, as the scripture says, the book of Proverbs, every word of God is tested. So when Jesus says, I am the door, words matter. I am the door. He did not say, I'm one of many. I'm a way. If you like it, take me. If you don't, take him or her or anyone else. I am the door. That is what Jesus says. He is the only way because he is the fulfillment in his person and in his ministry and in his teaching of all that God had spoken to in the Old Testament. He is Emmanuel, God with us. It is why the Apostle Paul says that all... All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. The apostles knew this full well. We see it clearly in all of the apostolic preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts. Here's one. Here's a key Awana verse. Acts chapter 4. This is Peter who put his foot in his mouth more times than we can count. And we love him for that. But Peter is filled and emboldened with the Holy Spirit, and he is now preaching the word of God, the gospel to people. Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. Words matter. In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. There's the gospel in all of that. We must be saved, and we must be saved in and through Christ. So now let's develop this a little bit further. There's the law and the prophets, but there's also false prophets. This is not a new concept that Jesus is bringing before us. This is the second, I'll call it the impediment, to entering the kingdom. And that is people who come in the name of the Lord, who come in the name of Christ, who wear that name but are not of Christ, nor are they in Christ, nor do they actually preach Christ. They are what we would call false prophets. And I'm here to tell you that these people have been running their yickety-yak mouths for centuries upon centuries. It never changes. The message will always be a little bit of truth and a whole lot of error. Sometimes it's even more truth, 
but enough air to make it poison. There's lots of things about God's truth that we like. The love of God. Loving people. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's very attractive. And agreed, we need more of that today. But that's not the totality of the message or the truth of God. The love of God must be balanced with the holiness and the righteousness and the majesty and the glory of Almighty God. So there are those throughout the centuries, Old Testament, New Testament, today, yesterday, they'll be around as long as we are, who distort the truth of God. So let's understand what a prophet is. And here's a very simple working definition, I think. Do you remember Moses? God said, I am now going to deliver my people from bondage, from slavery. I'm ready to act. Now is the time. So I need someone who will be a mouthpiece for me to the king, to Pharaoh, the most powerful and temperamental person on earth. I need someone to deliver my message and to speak for me. Let my people go. Who will I choose? I'll take that guy right there. The one with the speech impediment. Moses. Because I will always get the glory. It's all about me. I will use anybody. Anybody who will just... Submit and obey and follow my lead in their life. Moses. It's quite hilarious, actually. It's Exodus chapter 3 and part of 4. In which Moses actually argues with God and tells him he has the wrong person. I don't speak well. I'm not the guy you want to be the mouthpiece. Especially under stress. Wrong guy. Actually right guy. No, I'm not the one. Actually, you are the one. I just told you that. Yeah, but I can't speak. Moses, I made your mouth. I made your tongue. I will use every bit of you for my glory. Please follow me. Moses says, "Ah, you got the wrong guy. God says, well, look, Exodus chapter 7. I'll give you your brother Aaron. Aaron will be your boy. He'll be the one who speaks on your behalf. Watch what he says, though. Verse 1. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, what does that mean? It's very simple. A prophet is one who is the mouthpiece of God. A prophet is the one who speaks forth God's truth at a given time. God's truth is universal, but sometimes it was focused to particular people at a particular time. And so God's prophets would speak forth the word of truth. And it's true, particularly in the Old Testament, oftentimes they would foretell. But what we're focusing on now is telling forth, speaking forth the truth of God. And so God explained it in this way to Moses. Since you honestly don't trust me completely, here's Aaron. So now... 
in a sense, you're going to take my place because I'm going to give you my truth. But Aaron's going to be the one who delivers it. So in a sense, you're going to play God and Aaron is going to be the prophet because you know what the truth is, but Aaron's going to be the one who delivers that truth. That's a very good way to understand what a prophet is. But now there's a catch. We know this. Where there's truth, there's error. There's a fake. Let me um, explain it in maybe a very practical way. And this is actually also an announcement. Um, As is very common out in social media land, there are many, many detractors. There's many phishing scams. Perhaps you have received, I mean, we've all heard the car warranty pitch, but sometimes there's a prince from a far off land. Man, I, I don't know what to do with this bag of money on my back. It's at least $10 million. If you would just give me your bank account number, I would be happy to give you at least half of it so I can just keep on walking instead of carrying this load of money on my back everywhere I go. Right? We've, we've had those. So I just want to say we're not immune from that. For those of you on social media, uh, particularly Instagram, there's a few, there's an account running around that is impersonating us but is not us. So here's what you need to know. If you happen to be on Instagram or Facebook, we will never friend request you. We love it if you follow along, if that's where you are and you want to know more like our church Facebook page and so forth. But if you ever get a friend request, you can just press delete. If you see questionable content, it is likely not us. Feel free to let us know, but they're out there. Um, So emails as well. Unfortunately, sometimes um, emails, little phishing scams from me asking weird things. I'm a Cowboys fan. You know, all those things. Just don't believe it for a moment. Uh, you just hover around the the from thing and you'll see Colin, you know, from wherever, but it's not me. So the reality is in the world of truth, there are always fakes and there are always detractors. And nothing, the stakes are never higher when it comes to the truth of God. Remember, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you have the truth of God. It will never, ever ever be defeated, overcome, overwhelmed, or fade away. Ever. Never, ever. But our adversary knows, well, he can't beat it, so what does he do? He just joins a club, and he dresses up, and he looks like the truth, but he's not the truth. So you have the truth of God... You have the gospel of Christ, the person and the work of Christ, and there are all kinds of little fakes that to one degree or another are not the full embodiment of the truth. Very quickly, the Old Testament. Oh man, they're full of them. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 14. God says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying peace, peace. And there is no peace. Every single prophet that ever stood up called them to repent. 
He called them to take stock of their sin and to turn from what they were doing and return to God and to serve them, serve him, love their neighbor as they ought. It was just a regular message. Oh, but there were the other ones who came up and they said, hey, everything's great. Everything's fine. Aren't we happy? Bring your offering right here. He says he, they heal the land lightly. That is, they don't bring any healing. Everything's great. No, it's not. You're in conflict with God. Jeremiah put it this way. Consider this. Again, God speaking. I did not send the prophets. This is verse 20, chapter 23. Yet they ran. I didn't send them. Oh, but they're off to the races. I didn't speak to them. Oh, but they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel, watch this, they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And what would the result be? It's always the same. They would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. It's not rocket science. But you see, a false prophet will always come with a distorted message and he or she will come and will speak that which sounds good. It feels good. But 100% of the time, it will be absent and void of real talk about sin and God's holiness and our response accordingly. So what is Jeremiah saying? What is God saying through Jeremiah? Oh, there's lots of fakes out there. They don't speak my words. They're not doing my work. And you can see it in the fruit of people's lives. Not only their life, but in the fruit of those who follow them. Like teacher, like student. The Apostle Paul knew this all too well. Acts chapter 20. Saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. I know, Paul says, I know this. After my departure, when I leave, here's what's going to happen. Are you ready? Fierce wolves will come in among you. They have an agenda. It is not godly. And they are determined in their ways. They will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples from them. It's why the slate of elders that we have before you matters because the role of an elder above all else is to safeguard and proclaim the truth of God because the truth matters and the truth has consequences. And the reality is this is not a social club. I love the social aspects about church and church family. I especially love church dinners. But that is not the core and the essence of church. Church is the truth. Because Jesus said, again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you had better believe that our adversary is active like a roaring lion, as Peter says, seeking those whom he will devour. 
Notice, notice, they're not going to show up with a, with a protest sign saying, hey, I'm a false prophet. Would you give me your ear and your money? They're not going to do that. They'll come in as, as one of your own. Outwardly, but inwardly. And you know what? Even from among our own midst. It's really important as we read the New Testament. If you see over and over and over and over again the charge that is given to an elder. To safeguard, to preach, and to teach the truth. Because truth matters. And that is why the spirit of the age is exactly the opposite. You will not go into your public schools and you will surely not go into an institution of higher learning and have them say, wow, guys, truth matters. We got to get it straight. Not at all. Truth is relative. Truth is what your truth is. And I am never going to impinge upon your truth. How dare you even assert that maybe your truth isn't the truth. Paul says, watch. He says, they're coming, and guys, by the way, you got a job before you. They're already here. It's exactly what Jesus said. This is a refrain throughout the New Testament. It boggles my mind when I hear those who profess the name of Christ act as if truth is, well, it's negligible. It's a fuzzy area. It's not fuzzy. God is not the author of confusion. He, He actually is not. This matters. One or two more, then I'm done. Jude. As I said, this is a common refrain throughout the entire New Testament. Second Peter and Jude are polemics against false teachers. The the pastoral epistles, Titus, Timothy, these are written to Christian leaders, and it's all about the truth and knowing that there's false teachers. But you, in fact, take your Bibles if you have, and I want you to see this, because I forgot to put verse 3 in there. There's only one chapter, and it's the second to last book in your entire Bible. So Jude begins in verse 3, and he says, listen, guys, I would, this is what I intended to write. This is what I had in my mind that I was going to convey to you. But I'm telling you, he said... As I was dipping my quill or whatever they use into the ink and getting it wet, getting my hand ready to write this letter or to have somebody else or to dictate it to someone else, the Lord completely changed my focus. He says, I was going to write to you, verse 3, about the once for all delivered to the saints faith. Now, in the original... For you grammarians, I want you to think of it in this way. The word faith is modified by a whole string of adjectives. The once for all delivered to the saints, faith. He said, I was going to write to you about that just to expound upon it and to tell you a little bit more and to celebrate it. But I want you to notice what he says there. When somebody shows up in the 19th, 20th century and says, I've got a new take on the gospel. Man, we've been missing it all along. Nope. 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 Not true. 
When we see these worldly philosophies that attempt to explain life and people, I, I, it's not going to just show up now. Jude says, the faith, it was delivered, past tense. Once for all, it's complete. To the saints, it's not going to change. It literally is not. For those who claim further enlightenment that we see lots of, especially now, nah, nope, nope. But look at what he says, verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. The exact same thing Paul said. You watch out. They're coming. They're going to be sneaky. They're going to be right there. Now Jude, in this first generation, is already putting this in the past tense. It's already the past tense. Why? Because our adversary is always at work have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people. Now watch what they do. They pervert the grace of God. When there's a new teaching, when we even look back in this century or even late last century, people talking about the grace of God, but they pervert it. They will turn it into sensuality, and they will ultimately deny our only master and Lord. Oh, Christ won't be Lord. He won't be master. Nah. Obedience is optional. Truth is optional. They will deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jews says, contend earnestly. And finally, I'll say this in regards to this. No, there's a lot of verses I'm flashing up. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's what you need to keep in mind. Paul explains it for us so well. He says, And no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. All throughout scripture, there's a, there's a tether, there's a correlation between truth and life. Faith and what is outworked in your life. You cannot separate the two. You can't do it. But please note what the Spirit is saying to us. Satan himself the father of lies, as Jesus said. The evil one. The hateful one. The spring from which all wickedness and filth and garbage and distortion, sexual immorality, everything comes from. We tie it back to him. And he will disguise himself as an angel of light. You see, life would be far too easy if they would just show up and self-identify and say, yeah, I'm not going to tell you the truth, but please, you know, listen to what I have to say. No, deception is the name of the game. 
Which is why, again, I tether what we're speaking to back to the truth. Moms and dads, we've got to teach and show our children truth. They will not learn it, nor will they appreciate it from culture. Not going to happen. So truth matters, and we have to see what Scripture is telling us here. That Satan himself will disguise himself. Oh, he'll look beautiful. He'll look like the truth, but he's not the truth. And so his servants, those who really are not truly serving the Lord, they'll look godly. They'll have a measure of religiosity to them. They'll surely do good things. But the message of holiness, sin, we don't like to talk about those things because it makes us uncomfortable. And we don't want to do that. You see, the truth will make us uncomfortable. Paul said that the gospel, the word of the cross, it is an offense. Why is the word of the cross something so simple and beautiful and loving an offense? Because the way that I appropriate the cross is, as Jesus said in the beginning of this sermon, when I'm poor in spirit, when I see my sin, because remember, Jesus said the spirit will convict the world of sin. So when I am convicted of my sin, when I realize that I'm actually not the guy that I thought I was, I mean, it just takes a moment of being honest with yourself to know that, right? When I realize that I'm really not that good person that I want to believe I am. When I realize that I stand in need of a savior. When I realize and when I agree and admit that I cannot, I cannot rectify my own problem. No amount of religiosity, church attendance, giving, service, you name it. My works, my contribution, actually, as Isaiah put it very well, they're like filthy rags. So the cross is so beautiful. It's so simple. It's so uncomplicated. But I can't appropriate that until I have a full recognition of my sin and my need for a savior. And I come and I put my faith and my trust and my confidence wholly and completely in Jesus alone. That's why this matters. And finally, and quickly, because we'll continue this next week as well, fruit. Remember Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. So the way to see a false teacher is obviously you identify and you Check what they're teaching, but also their life. Does their life correspond to not what they're preaching, but to what God's word says a godly person is? If one is truly born again, there will be fruit to see in their life. And of course, he's speaking specifically of these false prophets, but like teacher, like student. If one is promoting and walking in the truth, well, their life is going to back it up. 
Because they're living in the truth. They're abiding in the truth. And they're preaching the truth. And they're living it. The immediate test is not necessarily or only actually what they teach. But he says, and Paul says, just look at their life. Jude says the same thing, right? There's a correlation between the two. The essence of being a Christian is what Jesus emphasized. You must be born again. Not renovated, not reformed, not try your best so you're better today than you were yesterday. But you've got to be born again. Like You've got to start from scratch. Paul put it this way. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, which is synonymous with a Christian born again, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are gone. All things have become new. And we expect, rightfully and logically, to see that in people's lives. So saints, as Jesus closes out his sermon, and I do the same this morning. Note carefully what Jesus is warning of. The gate that leads to truth, that leads to life. And along that path, along that broad path to destruction... There will be countless detractors, fakes, people who will appeal directly to your lust. They will bypass the heart of the gospel. They'll make it more palatable. They'll make it something that you would just be a dummy to, you know, to, to ignore. And that wide path, and there's so many different variants. There's people who are closer to the truth, people who are Far from the truth. But they're all going to do the same thing. They're going to lead people astray. Truth matters. It matters. And so this is exactly what Jesus is warning us about. Sin and redemption. Remember, he began by saying, the beginning of this sermon... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's not an intellectual belief. That's not just an intellectual, you know, believing something is true and that's the end of it. There's a poverty of spirit that accompanies that as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers, saints, They will always highlight those things that are most palatable, that appeal to all of us, but it's always a half-truth. Point of fact, when you consider the different philosophies present in the world today, put the straight edge of God's truth up against it. They'll all follow the same pattern. I mean, it's, it's entirely predictable. And repeatable. So I think I've said enough. I want us to see 
the gravity of what Jesus is pulling us to. I want you to see that Jesus is very sober in what he preaches. This this broad path to destruction that is lined with people who are preaching and teaching half or false truths, if you will, that will always appeal to us, but it's not the entire truth. Saints, the gospel is the most beautiful and uncomplicated truth on earth. But I have to be convicted of my need for a savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer this morning. Well, we know that this is uh, heavy hitting material. It's um, very much so the foundation of the New Testament. We, we need to know that. We need to put everything into perspective. There's joy. There is peace, of course. There's comfort in the Holy Spirit, obviously. But saints, we need to see all of what Jesus had to say. And to live soberly in this world. And to know that even as as believers in Christ, there will always be people who lead us astray. Who will seek to do so, I should say. So be on guard. And if you're here this morning, if you're within the sound of my voice whenever you're watching... Know the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. It's Christ, who he is and what he's done. If you've never put your faith in Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. This is not for tomorrow. Don't put it off. Oh, Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for another day. Thank you for a room that's filling up more and more on a Sunday morning. We long for that day when we can all come together and worship in your house. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you that it's uncomplicated. It's all about Christ and none of us. None about us, our efforts. Father, help us to be diligent in knowing and living your truth. To always go back to your word. To always align ourselves with your truth. To abide in your truth. To know your truth. To live by it. To be assured of your truth. The joy and the peace that comes from knowing the truth and walking in it. Oh Lord, we are so mindful of what is at stake. Help us not to be lulled to sleep. To become dull. To be distracted. But to be very mindful of this broad path that leads to destruction and the narrow one that leads to life. Open our eyes. The friendships we have, our neighbors, 
people in sports clubs or wherever it is that we engage people. May we be mindful of the truth and faithful witnesses. And with ever increasing beauty, our prayer is that people, when they hear us speak of the truth and of Christ and of the gospel, that they would think to themselves, that makes sense. There's something about you that's different. Use us for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.